I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond in order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. Welcome back. I am so excited for today's interview. We're going to be covering a topic uh, and work that I have not yet covered here. Um, we'll be interviewing Matt and Tawny Browning. Matt is an undercover law enforcement officer in Arizona who spent considerable time assigned to the FBI, working both the Joint Terrorist Task Force and the Violent Crimes Fugitive Task Force. Spending most of his career in intelligence and gangs, Matt has well over 20 years working and investigate, guess, investigating right and left-wing extremism with such groups as Volksfront, KKK, World Church of the Creators, Aryan Nations, National Alliance, Aryan Brotherhood, various border activist groups and militias, as well as Antifa, Sharps, anarchists, and sovereign citizens, both in overt and covert capacities. He is a court-certified expert in all areas of gang activity, including outlaw motorcycle gangs, Hispanic gangs, black gangs, white gangs, and prison gangs. In 2005, with the assistance of his wife, Tawny, who went undercover herself and was instrumental in his work, they created the Skinhead Intelligence Network, newly named the Supremacist Intelligence Network, an international law enforcement intelligence sharing organization. Through his proven model of fighting hate and associations with elite members of law enforcement, Tawny and Matt continue to track, monitor, and dismantle supremacy, including extremists, religious cults, sovereign citizens, and hate groups throughout the country. Matt and Tawny, thank you so much for taking time to to share your work with me. Oh, you got to take a breath after you read that. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of hate out there, a lot of groups to talk about. So how did you how did you how did you get into doing this work? And and, well, and then know, like how did you prepare yourself emotionally to do it also? Well, the, those are two I'll I'll hit the first one first is how I how I got into the work. I was working gangs and predominantly, my gang squad was was a, were Hispanic police officers. So we did a lot of Hispanic gangs and black gangs. And as the as the white guy on the squad, I spent a lot of time sitting in the van taking pictures and writing down license plates while my partners were able to go do 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 different things. What they called the real work. Yeah, the real work. <laughs> so I I I just decided, you know what, I'm going to jump into the world of of white gangs and see where it takes me. And and this is where it took me. Now, to how did I prepare myself emotionally? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was in front of me when I when I started to do this work. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit a little bit later. Um, Tawny, how did you? When did you? And you joined him at some point along the way. How did that kind of? Well, I think for you know out? even where we just came from working. Um, Matt was working a murder that was solved over the weekend. And so even, even now people don't, I think it's just so hard for our brains to wrap around that there's this kind of evil in the world that people will hurt just because this one happened to be a, a gay man that was stomped 
by a neo-Nazi. Um, it, it, you know, it, I just think it's hard for us to wrap our brains around it that that could be happening or that there's people that would would do that just because they don't like someone. So I think I lived in my little bubble. I think I created a Disney-esque home. I knew he was out in the very, um, the ugliness of it all. And, and I felt like my job was to keep the home happy, to keep his, um, his spirits good, you know, that kind of thing. And there just came a time when the support wasn't there, the knowledge wasn't there, that we had no choice but to to do it together. I, I, I guess really what really happened as I keep going on is that we had a, a 4-H slam, a little um, agriculture project that my nine-year-old was doing that we found on the back porch slaughtered. And we felt like that was a message to Matt. And I was like, you know, now now it's coming home. This hate is coming home. And wow. and and well, uh, he Ta didn't have much of a choice. Yeah, Tani's always Tani's always said, you know what, if if somebody's gonna come after you, I want to know who these people are and what they think. Because while I'm at work, Tani still had to be at the house, you know, and the kids were at the house protecting the kids. And so she she took it upon herself to learn the different, you know, what people look like, how do they talk, the ideologies of what group. We had a guy in in Arizona named JT Reddy who was really pushing to get me uh, basically dead. And um, so Tani wanted to know who JT was, and so she dug down and and did her research, and and then it turned out that that the world of hate started to consume me. And Tani said, "Listen, you you need an outlet, but if you need to go work this show, then I'll go to the show, get information." But after the show, we're going to go on a date, just you and me, mm. and, and we can decompress it on the date. And so, you know, that's how Tommy got involved, I think. Well, I I knew that if I could get into these guys' hearts and minds, that I could maybe find a softer side and maybe they would drop their guard a little bit and I could get information that would mostly link people together. And um, and I was pretty good at it. She but, was really good at it. But there there did come a time where he was pretty consumed in the work am passionate about the work, I would say. And I, I was, if we can get this information, then can we go do something I want to do? Mm. So, so some of, some of it started just really, you know, organically. And then when the lamb happened, that, that was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I think, I mean, there's so many things to talk about. There's a million different ways to approach the work you're doing. Um, I am curious to know because I'm a Jewish woman. And so I just learned recently that like white nationalists use anti-Semitism as like the cover for all of the anti-blackness for the, for their white supremacy things. And I didn't realize that connection before, which is so, was very eye-opening for me. I didn't realize how central that, that was. And, and the way that all of our, all of our freedom is tied up with each other. We can't be, none of us can be free until we all can be free. So what, what have you like, what are some things you've learned along the way that that surprised you and that have, have helped you kind of understand the way this all works? Well, I shoot, there's so much there to talk about. What what I learned along the way, um, I grew up not in a world of hate. I mean, born and raised in Phoenix. I saw my first, uh, you know, Nazi march, we'll call it going down Central Avenue. You yeah, know, when I was, cool. yeah, when I was, when I actually, when I was, probably 19 years old, 20 years old. And so um, actually I was 21 years old. I saw it because I was waiting for Tiny to pick her up for lunch one day. And I'm sitting there and a bunch of Nazis were marching down Central Avenue with their flags. And 
was like, well, who are these guys? Never saw it before in my life. And then, and then when I became a police officer, that's when I started learning about it. The first skinhead I met tried to kill me. He'd see, he stuck a gun in my chest, tried to pull the trigger to kill me. Luckily I was able to, you know, we fought, got the gun away. And then from there, I learned that, you know what the hate these people have consumes them. You, you They go to bed at night and they wake up in the morning hating. So if they can, if they're consumed by hate, then who's teaching them the hate? Then I found out that it's family members that are involved in the hate. It's, it's just like the hatred towards the Jews is generational. I mean, white supremacists, the main focus that they use is their hatred towards the Jews. And from that position, they can hate all these other things, but truly they hate the Jews. And everything they have is to dismantle, disrupt, destroy the Jewish people. And I just couldn't understand why. why? I mean, really, why, why can't we live peacefully? Why do you hate so much this one specific group of people? And, and that's when it turned into religion, that the hatred then turned to the religion of the Jews killed Jesus, so we must defend Jesus and kill the Jews. And he would come home and say this stuff. I, I was like, well, the Romans, I thought, killed Jesus. So it was just... It was kind of shocking that people even think like this. That and that was what got me is how is this even going on? So it's the it's as basic as Jews kill Jesus. Like that's that, that's that's it. That's it. That's I, it's so it's so basic. The Jews kill Jesus. The Jews run the media. The Jews run the banking. The yeah. Jews run everything. The Jews are destroying our life, and that's how basic the hatred towards the Jews. It's a Zionist occupied government. Yeah. That's the, I was like, what is this? When I heard that the first time. So Matt, yeah, it was it was crazy. It yeah. blew our minds, I guess. So could you say that again? A Zionist occupied? What did you? Zionist occupied government, or they call Zog. You know, Zog control rules everything and mm. it's 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 the the one government the one that's that's why this 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 fight right now this war right now and it would between israel and palestine is so big because the white nationalists are using that now the white nationalists can sit back and let everybody else destroy the jews and the nationalists they'll just go in and and, and you know pick off the outlying groups of 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 the jews in in the united states and that's what's going to happen you know, they're going to just wait, wait it out. Then they're going to make their moves here in the U.S. And, and things will just get worse than they are right now, unfortunately, for a little bit. Wow. And do you see, like, where do you see anti-Blackness showing up in those spaces? Where do you see Islamophobia showing up in those spaces, in, in white nationalist spaces? Everywhere. Everywhere. It's, you know, the white nationalism is so hypocritical and so full of myths and disinformation. Um, and like here in Arizona, the white nationalists are more anti, of course, let's take the Jews out of it because they all hate the Jews. So we can agree on, we, we, we understand that. So here in Arizona, besides the Jews, they hate the Mexicans because of the border. And so everything coming across the border, they hate. The Mexicans are taking over our jobs. They're making our insurance go up. They're doing all these, you know, they're all gang members coming in. But if you go up to like the Northeast where, you know, New York, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania, you know, Philadelphia, all these areas, now it's it's more, more concentrated on the Jewish people and less on the Mexicans. And then everybody hates 
that you know everybody hates the muslims they're like the jews and it's just a big mess yeah and that's like any any opportunity to um to hate and so this war in israel what's been so scary is that they're hiding among our college students and um taking on that banner of anti-jew but they also hate the Islam Islamic people. So it's just, it's a mess. They, but they are there in the middle of this. They are using that as their banner. Yeah. If you jump into the world, you're going to find that um, the hatred for anybody non-white. If you're not white, you're not right. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. Do they get into like, I mean, cause I've, I know that uh, I think the leader of one of them, maybe the proud boys or something is a, is a, a Hispanic man, yeah, it's Puerto a, a Puerto Rican guy. Yeah. How does that work? How does that play into well, it that, that you've seen? The Proud Boys are not, the Proud Boys were not started as a, as a white nationalist organization. That's okay. why you can have blacks and you can have Puerto Ricans and you can have Mexicans in the organization. They have, you know, the gay Proud Boys and, and the Jewish Proud Boys and all these different things. It's the subgroups within the Proud Boys that are the nationalists. And okay. they, so you it's like you have two different groups within one organization but they don't want you to know about the the racist part of the proud boys the proud boys are you know a white nationalist organization however they hide behind what we let everybody in you know we have we have our token puerto rican running you know the president and so and, and so they'll just it's all opportunistic um and, and you can have militia groups that have Mexicans and blacks fighting along the border, but the heart of a, of a border militia group is the hatred towards the Mexicans. Yeah. So you can still be black and hate the Mexicans. You can still be Mexican and hate the Mexicans. And, and so that's what brings these people together. That's why it's hypocritical. Yeah. Well, a few of his, well, several of the neo-Nazis that he worked with undercover are now Proud Boys. So yeah. that's kind of a, it's like they grew up and became you, you have to have something to latch on to. It's, it's, you know, Tani always says, if you take one void out of your life, if you take one thing out of your life, it creates a void. That void has to be filled. So if you take skinhead living out of your life, the skinhead living void will be filled with the proud boy void or a, a militia void because you still have that mentality and ideology that you need to, to release and, and get your frustrations out. What are some of the ways that you can, because you mentioned that this they're, they're being taught by their families, the, who's teaching them the hate is their their families, and and religion. How how do how does the radicalization process happen? And then, on top of that, like what are what are ways to disrupt that? Well, let's let's look at what's going on right now um, in the world. We have the war between uh, Palestine and Israel. It's but the war is actually a war between Hamas and Israel. But what's going on is that the, the people are going to latch on. If you watch the news or if you hear the reports, the Palestinian students are fighting against the Jews. So that right there is creating a, a hatred towards the Jewish people, towards the Israelis. That's what starts this whole thing for some of these kids. So now these kids are in college are going to remember, I hate the Jews because I was in this protest. I hate the Jews because all my Palestinian friends told me all the century-old stories about the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about families, 
it, it can be as simple as, you know, me telling my kids, you know what, when I was in high school, I got jumped by three Mexican guys and I just hate Mexicans because of that. That starts that whole cycle. And I think Tani is the best person that can talk about how to get out of that cycle because minor cover work, I started going into this thing of, yeah, yeah, you know, because I'm indoctrinating myself while actually trying to fight against it. And if it wasn't for Tani and bringing in the love, the compassion, the family, the support, then, uh, you know, it's hard to get out of that stuff. And that's what these kids need is that, that support. So you actually found yourself getting like buying into it for real. Oh yeah. There's time, there's times it's like, yeah, damn straight. I see that. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. It was when I came home and some of our best, best friends are Hispanic. I mean, we're in Phoenix. There's at least 30% Hispanic proper, um, population. And, More than that, and yeah. he would say something about the neighbor. And I was like, hmm, this isn't the man I married or the man that I know. And so, you know, we had to start looking into that too, because hate changes the neural pathways of our brains. And for him to be indoctrinated in that over and over and over, it was they're not robots. These cops, he's a good, good, good man. I wouldn't have married a man that wasn't or had him be the father of my children. But yeah, we were seeing it come home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I can, I haven't been in that situation, but like you hear someone, a politician saying something with absolute authority about, you know, some of the things that our previous president would say about, about Mexican people. And it's like, I I don't agree with that at all. And it's like when it's said with authority from a person with authority, it becomes so much easier to believe and and like question yourself. So I I I you know, I think it's brave of you to share that that, that had happened. Yeah. Um and I, I think it's also important to say that that was private talk between us and it was very quickly dispelled. And he was also, I'm not backtracking on it because I you you be you live with the monster long my dad would say you rolling the shit you're gonna smell like it you know and we saw that start happening um you know I, to his credit i could say okay but this 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 and this and it was almost like i could bring him back into yeah. who he was and so that's another reason that we started kind of working together is is because i i kept him grounded and in what was real and what was real life and that that was almost make-believe life i mean it was really happening important work but that's not your life and that's not the world that we live in or that we're trying to make sure we sustain you know and we and we talk about a lot about it in the book and um you know mental health is a very important part of 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 understanding my career and, and, and what we talk about and um I would, I would come home from work and I would just sit in my driveway just to try to get the garbage out of my head. Mm. And Tiny slowly start bringing out the, the, you know, Tiny would come out. Then Tiny would bring one of the kids out. Then the dogs would come out. And then it, it slowly indoctrinate me back into, Hey, you're home. You're safe. You're not, you're not a Klansman right now. You know, you know, you're not, you're not a member of the world church of creators right now. And so it would, it would slowly start to get that out of me. And, I think the easiest way to explain it is everybody listens to music. And if you listen, everybody has their go-to music for how they feel. And when you start feeling stressed out, you just put on that song and it calms you down. Yeah. It gets you back. There's breathing techniques. There's all these different things. And that's what Tani was for me. 
is that I would leave a, a meeting that we're yelling at the Mexicans and you hating the Jews and Zog is going to take over and all this other stuff. But then I come home and it's like, you know, Tanya would come out and say, hey, you're home now. You're safe. Everything's good. Well, yeah. his job was very important. I mean, to me, it was so important. And I used to tell him, if not you, who? Because yeah. here we found ourselves in this position. So it was my job to make sure that I felt, you know, that he felt that peace and calmness and real life at home so that he could go out and do that work. Are you still doing undercover work in these spaces? The book kind of Are you allowed to tell me that? It up. Am I allowed to ask that? Well, <laughs> I think the book kind of messed it up because I, I, I pretty much outed myself. Yeah. And I was outed back in 2007 by some other people. But um, I, I still, I mean, it's in my blood, it's in me, it's who I am. I can still go to militia meetings or things like that and 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 listen, sit in the back row and and gather my intelligence. And, you know, if, if somebody, if some organization, you know, like ADL or SPLC or somebody came to me and said, hey, can you find out about, about this group? Then, yeah, I can do that stuff still. He still does. Yeah. Me, I, um, yeah, I, he has a way, he's 6'4", but he has a way of like being invisible. And I don't know how he does that, but I definitely, I cannot do what I once did. Yeah, it was, yeah. We, were, we were in Philadelphia and we walked into an Antifa meeting once. I, I, I totally, we did not plan this. We, we love going around looking at old cathedrals and churches and we went into one and it was actually a big Antifa and, and Black Lives Matters and, and just a big, we hate the cops because the IACP was in town. Anyways, Tawny was the one that they said was the undercover cop. And, and I'm sitting right next to Tawny and they never, they didn't think I was a cop. So it, it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's funny. And we're still, we're here to talk about it. <laughs> How do you keep yourself safe physically as you're doing this work? I, I just refuse to be afraid. And I think, and I, cause I knew that if we acted afraid, we have five kids that we would be raising children in fear. And I think, you know, I'm pretty fearless person. The people that know me will say that. And, and maybe that was easy for us because he's always been our protector. Um, I mean, I just, I don't think about it. I mean, we take all the precautions we have the, can we control the controllables? You know, we have fork knocks at our house. We can see who's coming and going, but other than that, I mean, what do you think? Well, the the white in white supremacy, they're a pack mentality, and they sense fear. So if they're if they're at a show and and a Native American comes in by himself, that Native American is going to get his get boot partied at the show because of the pack. So what you have to do is you you have a choice. You either become part of that pack. Or you got be the guy on the outskirts of the pack, monitoring, making sure nobody gets thrown into the pack. And I spent a lot of my time making sure people weren't hurt because of these these idiots, these skinheads. Um, I and that's how I gathered my information. And and I would be totally remiss not to. I had a great cover team when I was with the city. You know the guys I worked with. If I was going into a to a, at the start of my undercover stuff, if I was going into a meeting or a barbecue i had a cover team outside that all all it would take is a is a call is a a message from me and these guys would be coming in you know helmets on and, and taking everybody down 
that's how I stayed safe. But later on in my career, I, Tani really kept me safe because Tani kept me grounded. And so we would be somewhere and I could, I could reach over and touch Tani or I could see Tani and I would know, okay, I, I'm, I'm grounded. I'm good. Now I can go take care of what I have to take care of. And then like Tani says, it helps to be a bigger guy because a lot of these skins are cowards and they don't, they don't want to go against somebody who is going to beat them. And so, you know, I just, they never came at me. Well, they tried. It but... seemed at the shows, it seemed like they either wanted to be Matt's best friend or they wanted to kick his butt. I mean, it, there was never anything in between. So when you say the shows, own, so. what do you mean by the shows? What is that? What kind of shows are these? Like a concert, oh, like okay. a hate concert or a, a band comes to that would attract, you know, the skin had seen because okay. all the skins, they like that, that driving constant driving, the old school punk uh, shows like that. And so at these different shows, you'd have, you know, you'd have members of Volks run Aryan nations and, and, you know, Oi boys or unit 88 skins or whoever show up. And, and uh, so that's where a lot of, a lot, that's where Tani probably did her, her probably next to her greatest work was just gathering information at the shows from these guys. Because while I'm out trying to pull myself out of a mosh pit, Tani's back at the bar finding out who's dating who and, you know, and, and, these guys are crying to her about, I don't want to go back to prison. Well, why would you go back to prison? Well, I did this. Mm. And then Tani would tell me, then I would research it and we would, we would do our work like that. I mean, socially, those were my skills. I'd always, you know, that was, and you just had to follow the soap opera, which was, you know, just an extension of high school. And so, yeah, if I could follow that, we could really, we were really able to link a lot of people together just by doing, you know, what I met, I don't think I get worried that people think they can just go out and do it. I had him. He made sure that I kept everything clear and I was doing things legally and, and the right, but he, his greatest advice to me was just do what you know. Yeah. And so I did what I knew. And, and to answer your question, in order to come, in order to stay safe, you have to understand and you have to be aware of your surroundings and in the book, we talk about the things that you can, you know, what are the identifiers for these for these groups or people? You know, what are the tattoos? What are the bumper stickers? What are the t-shirts? What are what does 1488 mean if you see that on your son's notebook that he's taking to school? You know, what why is the swastika the swastika? And and it's important to understand all this stuff because only through understanding can we combat it. I was just about to ask you this question and you answered it, you started to answer it as like, how do you recognize it? And how do you, um, <clears throat> how can a, you know, a regular person in college or a regular person on social media recognize some, because I actually haven't heard of 1488 before. So you've already said a lot of things that I haven't heard of, which isn't surprising because I'm not like in those groups, but how can people see it coming? Well, this is my thing. This is what was so important when we wrote The Hate Next Door that we have a section in the back where, you know, there's some solutions and some identifiers, because I think this is about our kids and we need to protect our kids because if we don't care and give our kids a place to belong, they're going to find belonging somewhere else. And if they know, if at least we as parents know, and even them as children know what, what to look for, that's half the battle. And so that's was why it was really important to me to write the book. Yeah, and and there, there's there's so many different levels too because you have 
You have your hardcore skins that are tatted up with swastikas, the 14 and 88. 88 stands for Heil Hitler. The 14 mm -hmm. is the 14 words by David Lane. You know, we must secure the existence of our future. Of our, We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Then that's the 14 words. Um, so you have that. You have the different 16, 23, 33. You have all these different numbers to understand. But then you have the guys that are wearing khakis and, and polo shirts that are walking through Charlottesville saying the Jews will not replace us. Why are they different from the skinheads with the tattoos? Well, it's because they hide behind what they're doing and you can't really identify them with because they don't have the tattoos. So you have to understand the ideology. You have to understand the rhetoric. And once you put it all together and you multiply at times the religion, you're going to get violence. And so it's important for everybody to understand that when kids are in high school, they get along. You have all kinds of demographics of people. We see it all over the place. But as soon as they leave high school and move on to the next level of their college or universities, something happens. They get associated with somebody. Um, they have friends that are, say, they're pro-Palestine or pro-Israel, and they start going with these groups, and that's where the indoctrination starts. And so we have to we have to identify the rhetoric because it's through the rhetoric that we can identify the ideology of what these people believe. And then from there, we can track down the potential for violence with these different groups and organizations. Because there's so many different groups out there from, you know, there's Hammerskins and Volksfront and Vinlanders and American Front, and those are your hardcore skins. But then you have Patriot Front, you have America First, you have guys who are college ed educated trying to indoctrinate people to follow them. And then you grow up and you grow out of into the Proud Boys or you become a member of a militia group. All of it is based out of hate. And you take your hate from the beginning and it's going to go with you through your life until somebody pulls you aside and says, dude, what's up with you? You know, you're going to go to prison. You're going to shoot up a synagogue. You're going to do something. Somebody pulls you back. And you got to be pulled back. How, um, how do you, for, okay, are there people, I guess, in government was the question I wanted to ask. Like, how do you recognize it in government elected officials? In for people, people not able to see their faces right now, there's smiles you're, happening. You're, 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 you're really wanting me to burn some people here, which, you know, I'm good. I'm good because I'm calling out hate where I see it. And that's why the rhetoric, rhetoric, understanding the rhetoric is so important. So if you have somebody that says at a rally, at a at a meeting on the in the in in the news, wherever it says I'm a nationalist, keyword right there is nationalist. That's a shout out to white nationalism and the nationalists in the United States. And and for the most most people are like, what's the big deal? It's it's um just a nationalist. That's not a harmful word. But if it's an identifying word to a subgroup of people, it's a problem. It's and code. I, yeah. I, exactly. And I don't think that our, our politicians are, um, are, they know that. They're smart enough to know that. They know who they're calling out. If, yeah. yeah. If you have somebody says we're being invaded. That's well, a, if somebody says you're being invaded, that's sparking the minds of your three percenters, your oath keepers, the people who have taken an oath to defend the, the country in law enforcement and in the military to go down to the border to stop the invasion because they believe that the oath is for life. 
And so regardless of how old you are, my job is to stop the invade invasion. We're not being invaded. We have maybe have an immigration problem, but we're not being invaded. Yeah. And so there's, there's different words like that. There's, you know, when people throw out, you know, we're letting rapists and murderers cross our border. Once again, the border militias are going to go down there. And they're, and unfortunately, it is documented. I was part of these organizations. They're going down and they're shooting at people coming across the border and killing innocent people as they cross the border. And, and that's what the rhetoric does. That's what this language does that our politicians or our law enforcement figures are saying. And we kind of pride ourselves on being centrist. This is just, these are just, you know, believe it or not, these are facts of what experience has shown us. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really unfortunate that that Tanya and I, you know, we we look at the world as the world really is. And, and a lot of people try to put a bubble around the world or around their own personal worlds until, you know, you know, and, until Hamas goes and for no reason at all kills thousands of people on one day. Mm -hmm. And that starts this whole anti-Israel movement here in the U.S. This isn't a, a, a war against Palestinians or the Jews. This is a war against terror. This is a war against hate. This is a war against century-old hate that has lived and breathed in, in the Middle East because of terrorist organizations. But we don't, I just, I'm not part of these groups, but the white supremacist does not look at it like that. They look at it as an opportunity to hate Jews. It's an opportunity to go put stickers and swastikas and break windows and blow up synagogues and make threats against the, 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 the Israeli students union and things like that mm -hmm. because of a century war on terrorism. Yeah. Um, how do we, how do we, without, I'm like, without getting too far in, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I did a whole podcast on this, so it's out, it's out in the open, but I'm, I'm a Jewish person who is actually opposed to the occupation of, of Palestine. So I feel like there's, it's being, anti-Semitism is being weaponized against, weaponized against us to actually speak truth to things that are happening that are, you know, there's like that, there's like so complicated because it's, it's all being used against everybody for all the different things. Um, but how do we fix it? <laughs> you mentioned there in the book. I know I don't want to give away all of your um, all of your uh, wisdom. Please give it away. I mean, we wrote the book so we could have these conversations because we all have our own biases and things and the ways we were raised. And we need to, if we're going to really heal this world and really find the love that I think heals the world, we have to be able to first talk to each other. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's why I, yes, let's give everything away and thank you for <laughs> what you're doing and taking the stands that you take so that we can all maybe figure this out. But um, I'll let you go ahead. I think, I think what we need to do is because I've been thinking a lot about this and, you know, when we, when we started the, the supremacist intelligence network, SIN, um, it was global. I mean, we had membership in, in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand, in the U.S., all over the place. We had we had all kinds of law enforcement getting involved in fighting hate. And I think what I realized is that community is a community problem. 
if communities come together with their schools and with their religious organizations and with their families and sit down and talk, we can work one community at a time. And and it start and it starts with our teachers and our coaches. And we we are we're a football family. We love football. We have kids that play college football. And one of our sons, he took they took state. They they took the Arizona last State year. last year. They took the nice. open championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. And but here's how it started. Our son started his freshman year like 0 and 10. They lost every game. It's one in ten, don't it? One in right. ten. But, <laughs> But the coach, the senior year, the coach brought all these players together that were white, black, Hispanic, Jewish, Catholic, Mormon, Baptist, Protestant. You pick the demographic. We had a, a guy from Russia on the team. And you pick the demographic, and we had it. And the coach put them all in the room and said, you guys are not leaving this room until you understand each other, until you know who you're going on the field with. And that's what we need to do. That one night, that one couple hour conversation that these kids had built a bond and built a brotherhood that when they stepped on a football field, it's not about me, it's about all of us. And they won. And that's because it was family and we are Americans. We are family too. We are. And that's what we need to do. We need to, I don't, we need to put all this stuff aside and say, what can we do to fix our communities and then it goes from the community to the state and from the state to the nation. Because if if we're going to rely on the Senate or Congress or the president to fix the problem, then we're going to be waiting a long time. And we all have a unique job. That, I mean, we all have something that we can do. You're doing it with this podcast mm-hmm. just by letting us, you know, speak and, and having the conversations. And I think there's something we can all uniquely do. We have, we can solve this. We're smart enough to solve this if we can keep the agendas at the door. And really look for solutions. Do you see trauma? Like, how do you see trauma playing in in terms of upbringings that people have that will lead them to needing acceptance from a group from groups like these? Great question. Well, if if you're in grade school and you get beat up by a group of Mexicans, or if if one of your friends is shot in a drive-by shooting, or 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 stabbed or a victim of a gang that trauma that you're 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 building that's building inside of you has to come out some way and 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 that trauma is going to push you to the hatred towards these organizations that that caused the trauma to start with so trauma is huge yeah even even our kid that's playing d1 football right now he found out that his dad was we've been kind of vocal lately about after writing the book and he found out that his dad was a cop and he he's not he's not happy, you know, either because he has trauma from police officers in his own family. So it's something that we're all we, he has hatred towards police officers, but he loves my son. So it's just been kind of confusing to him as well. So Matt's been able to talk to that kid. And, you know, we're trying to build bridges there as well. It's in all of our communities at some level somewhere. It does. You don't have to look very far to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just feels it's how do you keep yourself from getting overwhelmed by it? Because there, <laughs> the more you look, the more you find, I feel like, how do well, you keep yourself in the, it, I, I know we, we, we sort of address, how do you like pull yourself back from, from, from getting sucked into it, but how do you keep yourself doing this work? How do you sustain yourselves? Well, the title of the book is the hate next door. It is literally next door. 
it literally could be your neighbor. It could be, you know, your roommate. It could be anybody. It could be you. It could be you. And and what you have to do is look inside yourself. And I, I'll tell you right now, here's how hate is going to end up in somebody's life. Because I've been on the roller coaster of hate. I've been undercover in a lot of different organizations in Arizona. I put 19 skinheads in prison for murder or attempted murder. That's Arizona. Alone. That's just Arizona in my time undercover here. That's how hate is going to end. We just, Tony mentioned earlier that, that we've been working with a, a mother. Her, her gay son was, was beaten by a neo-Nazi and his friend. Um, that's how hate that's how the trauma of hate is is expressed is through violence. And that's how it's going to end. There is no there's no hope, there's no happiness and there's no love and hate. Hate is a negative emotion feeling and only negativity is going to come out of it. And 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 how do we keep keep people out of that? Well, I think we provide hope. We provide a means of communication. We provide love in their families which which needs some serious because if you take out hope or if you take out hate, you have to replace it with the opposite, which is love. Mm. And I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that, that love is the answer. That's Tony's job. Tony, <laughs> Tony can tell you that. My job is to tell you I've seen enough of it. And I know that if you're part of a hate group, um, you're probably most likely eventually going to commit a hate crime and you're going to end up in jail. And then your life's over. You've destroyed not only your life, but the victims around you. You said, you know, and I agree, I agree with what you said, but you, if the question was, you know, how do we not become overwhelmed? I just, I think it's, I mean, I think we have been overwhelmed before. I think writing the book was therapeutic um, in a lot of ways and hard in others, but um, I think it is overwhelming, but I think we've ridden a little bit of that roller coaster that now we're at, we've kind of come through the darkness and we're able to, to recognize that this has to be done. If if we don't speak up, if we don't all speak up, I don't, it's not going to end well. It just doesn't end well. Are there resources for people who are like involved in these groups and are kind of like looking for a way out or, or questioning, like, this isn't what I signed up for, or this isn't, you know, this isn't the, where I want my life to be right now, but maybe feel trapped or are, are there places for those people to go? You know, that's a, that's a great question because it's, it's almost like, um, is there a resource for police officers that want to commit suicide over the weekend? We've had two or three more police officers in the U S commit suicide. Oh, wow. And, 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 and my answer to that is, yeah, there's all kinds of resources. There's, there's all kinds of mental health facilities that people can go to, but you have to stand up and you have to say, I need help. And I want the help. And when it comes to hate, I think a lot of people just think that they can stop and they can pull themselves out. Um, Tani, and more Tani than I, but I think both of us, we still have people that I worked with undercover in the hate movement that we talked to who have left. But we have to talk to them to keep them out of mm -hmm. going back. They need that support. And I think that if anyone is wanting to get out, if they, if they say, I need help, we, we need to figure out how to get him that help, but it's not just professional help. It's having support and mentorship and knowing that someone cares. That's, that's where it's at. It really is. If, if hate is so consuming, love can be equally so. And that's the, we, we create 
take out the hate, put in the love. And I know it sounds so simplistic, but maybe it really is that simple. Yeah. I love that. Not, at least in theory, you know, it, and we've seen it work. That's just it. We know people that have gotten out. We've seen what support and love does. We, you know, and sometimes they still carry around some of the ideology, but it's, it's, it's one step at a time. They're not committing hate crimes. We're, you know, we're going this way and that that's, that's making a better word, world. And, and you have to see what hate does in your life. It creates super highways in your brain. It rewires mm-hmm. your brain. And and if, if it took you 10 years to get to where you're at now with your hate, it's going to take you 20 years to get all that out. Wow. Because the problem, hate brings in aggression. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, swastika tattoos, 1488 tattoos, Hitler murals, all these different tattoos that you can have. But each one of those tattoos has to be removed to really step out of that. Otherwise, you're looking at the demon inside you every day and you're going back into it. And so are there resources? Man, I wish there was more. Yeah. And we wrote the book so that we could start having these conversations and saying, okay, what resources can we do? What 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 can be out there? But it starts with this these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It well, starts with knowing, hey, the hate is right next door to you yeah i have i have one more question before we finish and it, it we don't have much time but i i've heard you talk a lot about like anti-semitism and and you know uh anti-immigrant sentiments and anti-gay i haven't heard you talk a lot about anti-blackness in this space um and like anti-black racism is that something that is how does that show up in this web you know, I, I think that that's that's interesting to me because I, when I think white supremacy, I automatically think Jews and blacks. I hate you. That's it. And so my mind, I I didn't think that I needed to explain it because, and, and I'm glad you asked me, me too. because in in my mind it's like, well, shoot, it's obvious. I'm a white supremacist, you know. Yeah. But anti-black is is, you know, it it takes a little bit of work to identify an an Israeli or a Jewish citizen. It, you know, whether they have a necklace, whether they have the different characteristics and traits that these these idiot white supremacists think are the Jewish traits. But if you're black, yeah, there's there's no guessing, you know. And so here in Arizona, they go on hunting trips and they would get in cars and they drive around. They look for for black people and they jump out of the car. And they beat them down. They stab them. They pistol whip them. Then they get back in their car and drive back around and do it again and again and again. And, and that was all directed towards minorities and, and black America is the minority as well as the, you know, the Mexican Americans is a minority. And, and so there is that black hatred and it's, oh, it's, sure. it's always there. The tattoos of people being noose, the tattoos of the hangings, the tattoos mm-hmm. of, of support for the Klan back in the fifties, all these different things are still alive and well in the hatred towards black America. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause I, I, in my mind, I was like, isn't that, I, I always thought it was sort of Jewish people used as scapegoats to blame all of the other anti-everything. So that. I think, I think the Jewish, I think the Jewish people are blamed for everything, for the banking, for everything mm-hmm. you can think of. But I think the direct assaults, whether they're verbal or physical, depending on where you're at, is towards the Blacks and the Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. That... But except now, I mean, the time's different now. Yeah, we're in a different... But but in the past, I mean, the Blacks were... It's like you're Black America, you're walking around with a target on you. Yeah, yeah. 
um, that that clarifies things and kind of gives a, a I think a, a perspective of it that was more consistent with what I was understanding. And I mean, it is just wild how pervasive this is. And I think you know we're just getting on you know the tip of the iceberg, just starting to to open this up in this conversation. So I just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to to do this work um, to 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 talk to people like me for writing. Uh, for writing the book. So it's The Hate Next Door. Is it available all over? It's available wherever um, books are sold, Amazon, okay. Barnes and Noble, that place. So, um, and I hope we didn't overwhelm you because I want you to know, or or your audience, there is so much hope. You know, we're talking about so much and just talking. And so I hope you'll grab the book, you're, you know, that the people will read it and understand because there is so much hope out there. We don't have to live in hate. I love that. So I love communication. That just, yeah. Yeah. Just talk. And if you want more information, you can visit our website at Tawny, Matt and Tawny. That's M-A-T-T-N-T-A-W-N-I.com. Um, that's amazing. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to to uh, have this dialogue today and for sharing the work that you've been doing and for being really vulnerable about the impact that it's had on you and the importance of um, self-care feels not like a strong enough word, but the importance of really, um, you know, caring, caring for each other, having someone to, um, to ground each other and um, stay in community as, as we do this work. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.